Want to make your business available to an additional 50 million consumers in the U.S.? Join us as we dive into the world of ADA compliance with Jenny Wolt, a 30-year veteran in the marketing arena with a focus on healthcare, creative marketing and branding, as well as government contracting. With her expertise and experience, we'll dis discuss the importance of accessibility, not just for people with disabilities, but for the overall user experience and business success. Discover the legal and financial consequences. There are consequences, and we will go through those examples of non-compliance and learn valuable tips and tools for making your business, for your, you know, your, your website and documents compliant. Get the expert insight and an advice you need to take your business to the next level. Tune in to this episode to discover the power of ADA compliance with Jenny Volt. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. All right. Oh, by the way, this is near and dear to my heart. And I think there are dual, dual benefits to ADA compliance. We will definitely dig into that. But I always ask my superhero guests to tell me about their background and how they got into the line of work that the, the, and expertise that you're in, you have right now with ADA compliance. Gotcha. Well, um, I started off uh, opening up Splashbox in 2006 as a healthcare marketing-centric creative design agency. Um, about 2012, fast forward to there, and we had a client come forward, and they'd been fined. They were a healthcare client uh, for not being compliant. And so they sent me off to find out what is 508 remediation, what are companies that are supplying this service, and what's it going to take, what's the budget amount going to be needed to make them compliant. So I went out there, didn't know anything about it before I started this research, put together a proposal for them, got them some quotes and came forward and presented it all to them. And at the end of the presentation, they said, well, we've decided we want you to do this. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I said, well, let me look into this. And so I ended up uh, traveling to Washington, D.C. and taking classes with Common Look PDF, who is one of the premier providers of software for accessibility and spent several days with them training, went to some seminars, learned some more good information and really deep dove into what is involved, what are the requirements and how do we reach this you know, goal and keep my client out of trouble. So we did that and then it really became a passion for us. Um, my grandfather was blind in his later years and I would find him books on tape and whatnot. And now knowing that I had the ability to help others um, have access to things that he would have loved having access to. It just really became something we were passionate about. And so my um, husband actually decided that it was something he really was enjoying. And so he came on board in 2012 and really took that side of the business and ran with it. And uh, he's our, our point guy. He's my IT person that oversees our staff and making sure that we're meeting those requirements. So, uh, so according to ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, right? So that's mm -hmm. uh, the uh, what I counted in your in your bio is fifty million Americans, right? So that's a that's a pretty sizable market, right? If you are if you are not compliant, whether whether you're selling insurance products or vitamins and supplements or or fashion, right? you're neglecting 50 million Americans basically by, by not complying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, 
it's just terrible to, to leave those people, you know, alone and, you know, it's bad for you, bad for them. So. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not just the, um, the, the marketing opportunity, definitely. Right. But also, um, there's legal ramifications now, depending on the size of the business you are right. And financial. Can you give us an example? Sure. Um, they're actually of the lawsuits last year, um, 80% of them were for companies that were under $50 million. So it's not just the big guys, um, target, you know, they have the largest ADA lawsuit in history. They had to pay, pay out. And I believe it was 6 million, um, because their website was not compliant, but even Beyonce has had to pay fines for her site, not being compliant. And although I realize she's a superstar, I, I don't know how much actual traffic her website gets, maybe, you know, a few million a month, but it, it, it's really everybody that needs to be compliant because if a hard to site person wants to access your information and they ask you for that information in an accessible format and you ignore the request or you don't make it available, then you've given them no choice but to force that upon you. And that's done through lawsuits. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I do, even though it's not a, this is not a, like a commercial show, right? Even though we talk about business is every episode gets a, a caption upload so that everything that we are seeing right now there, it's available as a transcript so that they can download it through uh, YouTube or anything like that so that they can, um, they can e either read it or however, any kind of accessible device they want to use, they could, they could do that, you know? Because very early on in my first, I would say, 10 episodes, I had one person reach out to me and said, love your show. Can you please upload the, the transcription so that I'm, I'm able to uh, use it because I, I, have, I have disabilities and I would really appreciate it. I said, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I started uploading it. Uh, I, I uploaded the first 10 and then going forward, every episode got, got its uh, captions, you know, um, professionally made. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I think most people, you know, that don't have those disabilities, it's just not something they're readily thinking about all the time. And so like what you did, when someone asked you, you made that available and too many companies are just ignoring that request. And that's what's driving these, these yeah. lawsuits. So how do you, because this is a pretty big topic, right? So how do you define and measure success in making uh, you know, not just websites. I just mentioned my show, which is a YouTube right. show, right? And and other platforms, podcasts and such, and other documents more accessible. How do you measure success with that? How do you define and measure it? Well, there's um, a couple different ways. So if we're talking about a website, um, like the government, for instance, when we remediate their documents that are going on their websites, they use a company called Site Improve, which trolls every government website. Um, and tells them if all their documents and it's the, if the HTML on the site is compliant. And if, it not, it, if it's not, it generates a report and shows errors and whatnot. So we guarantee that every one of our documents that we remediate, or if we help you bring your website to compliance, that we will pass site improve. If for whatever reason, a document we remediate does not pass site improve, we will take care of that and redo it, whatever we have to do to make that happen. So that's one way we we can measure success as if it's passing those kind of checkers. Um, when we're remediating a PDF document that's gonna be uploaded, we can provide up to three different accessibility reports that will prove that your document meets all the requirements set out by HHS, which is um, Health and Human Services, who is the government department that drives 
the requirements for 508 remediation. Uh, is there like a best example in your career that you, you're really proud of that exceeded expectation and it was just a phenomenal outstanding results uh, from the work that you did? If, if you could share that case study, because we would love to learn from the best, you know. Well, thank you. Um, one of our favorite things is that when we got started early on, uh, we partnered with the Tennessee School for the Blind in an effort to kind of give back to them and also to learn how the heart of sight are experiencing the web. And so we spent some time there and we remediated their school newsletter. And we watched a young man get to read his school newsletter for the very first time. And he was 17. He had been at the Tennessee School for the Blind his whole life. And his face just lit up when he got to sit there and go through and actually experience his school newsletter. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. Like seriously, it was so exciting to watch him get so excited. And so we've continued. I think we've been remediating for them for about 10 years. We, every month we do their school newsletter and anything else that they need. And it just, my team gets excited to get to work on those because they know that it, the children are benefiting from that. And so that's just been a really uh, precious and um, wonderful thing to be a part of. Yeah, you know, it's, it's something that um, we take it for granted. People who don't have a disability, right? Take it for granted. And you think that, oh, you know what, you know, it's, it's like, if you lived in the United States all your life and you used a microwave to heat up your food all, all the time, you take it for granted that it exists. You just assume that it should be in a corner of a kitchen where you toss stuff in, put it on five minutes, it heats it up for you. Right. I've been to countries that microwave doesn't exist. To tell them that it's such a, you know, there's such a device that allows you to, they think it's a toaster. No, it's not a toaster. Uh, it's a separate kind of thing. No, they don't, they don't get it, right? But right. the reason I'm sharing that example is that, you know, when when you don't have that disability, you don't realize that it exists. You're not empathetic to that situation, especially if you are in a leadership position, right? VP right. of marketing, VP of e-commerce or design or website design or whatever, creative director. You make everything, as a creative director, you make everything highly visual, what about people with color blindness? You know, mm -hmm. so you you need to be a bit more empathetic to those kinds of needs. And 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 I think what we are covering on this show right now, I think we're digging deeper and deeper into this topic. I, I think we will educate a lot of people who are very smart at what they do. They just are not as familiar with this topic. You know, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of color blindness, I mean, your color contrasts are also a part of being ADA compliant, making sure that you've got strong contrast between your letters and your background, and you're not running words over pictures and those kinds of things. They all play in part. Definitely. I mean, one side note uh, that I want to add is one of the, because there are different levels of uh, ADA compliance, right, for websites. Right. We will dig into that. One, one of the things that I found over my career is that when you do ADA compliance, in my view, it's not just for the ADA compliance, but also the best practices for ADA compliance are also the best practices for search engine optimization. Right. You know, so you're not you're not just doing it for the sake of ADA compliance. You're also doing it highly uh, readable and highly optimized also for search engine optimization, which improves your Google ranking and stuff like that. So that's the other reason for ADA compliance also, not just. Not, not just you're, you're attracting 50 million more customers. That's a reason by itself, you know? Right. 
Yeah. So, um, so let's say, you know, you come across, is it usually that they got into trouble and hello, Jenny, uh, I'm in trouble. Can you come and help me? Cause I just, I'm getting sued. You know, is, is that when you get involved or, or are they, are there companies that are much more proactive from the very beginning when they're thinking about site redesign, they're thinking about ADA compliance also. I think you definitely we've got, we're coming from both angles. Um, you know, unfortunately, we have had several clients that have come to us because they have been fined or because they've gotten a request for somebody who wants something and they're like, how do we get this to them fast? Um, other companies, I think they're becoming more and more aware. And so they're doing a you know whole revamp of their website. So they'll bring us in in the beginning planning stages. And that way we can inf help influence the choices that they're making and, you know, the way they're setting up this website, the color contrast, uh, the, the way use of buttons, the non-use of pop-ups, <laughs> you know, other things that will make their site non-compliant. So we've kind of got, you know, both things going on. So earlier I asked you about the best of the best, right? Now I'm going to ask you where challenges come from, right? Um, you have all the right intentions. You give the right advice to the client and then there are challenges that, that you come across, right? In, right? in implementation. So can you go through some of those challenges and, and uh, you know, so that people understand like what kind of things to look towards and, and then so that they can solve it uh, instead of like thinking that it's a roadblock? Well, what we run into a lot is um, it's going to be monetarily driven because at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a cost center. Um, and so a lot of companies will want to take more of a wait and see if we get caught kind of an attitude, um, which, you know, I can understand it, it, it costs money and you don't, if you don't really look at the larger potential of all these new people you're reaching, you only see it as a cost center. So we, you know, we've got to show and explain how this actually in the end will save you money. It's kind of a situation of pay now or pay later. And most likely if you're going to pay later, not only are you going to have to get compliant, but you're going to have to pay those, you know, lawyers that got involved and pay the fees and the fines. So, you know, overcoming that has been, you know, a great challenge for us as far as like difficulty of remediating certain things and where clients will get hung up is, you know, they, They'll want to make their website HTML compliant, but they don't want to go to the trouble to make all the documents compliant. And they'll want us to guarantee that their website's compliant. And, you know, we can't do that unless you remediate and you take care of everything in every aspect of your website. So it's kind of a lot of education that we're always, you know, coming coming with um, and explaining things to them, helping them see the, the validity of the entire package. Um, and keeping them out of trouble. Is there is there a situation where, you know, I, I don't know how your process works, but let's say if you produce an audit report or something like that, you come back and say, you know, make these kind of changes. Mm -hmm. Is there a gap between what, what you produce in that report that needs to be corrected for compliance, right? Versus um, your client's uh, tech department or developers there's a gap between those two, the language and what you're asking them to do versus what they end up implementing, that there's a gap between those two things. 
Yeah, there, there is. So we do it basically as a three-part review. So we'll go in, we'll give a kind of an overreaching, you know, concepts and issues that they have on all their pages. We give them a list of all the documents that they've got associated with their website that are not compliant. And then we give them the steps they need to take to make them compliant. Then we let them go back. Um, we meet with them. We discuss every one of those things. We give them examples. Um, and then they'll go and they'll make those changes. And then we review again. And sometimes what they were trying to fix, they end up creating new problems. So this is why we do this <laughs> at least three times um, to make sure that in the end, they have a full understanding of what it took to get there and that the website is indeed compliant. So it's a lot of working with their IT people. But in the end, now their staff is highly trained on what it takes to have that compliant website. So it's, yes, it's our cost, you know, what we're charging you to review it. But in the end, you're also paying for training for your team that they can now move on without us to continue this process. And then maybe that, once a year review. Does that also involve, because we are talking so much on making this conversation like IT centric, but I, the, the people that actually drive sales and marketing are marketing and salespeople also. Mm -hmm. They run Facebook ads, they run, uh, you know, uh, Google ads and stuff like that. Well, is there compliance issues there too? Because that's your presence also, right? That's leading mm -hmm. them to that website. Right. So with those kind of posts, like if you're, let's say you're doing an Instagram post and if you were to go to Splashbox Instagram, you can see an example of this where you provide alternative text in your caption. You know, it doesn't have to be up there high, you know, at the beginning of your caption, your cute little, you know, you know, caption that you've come up with, but down below, you know, return a few times and then put in the alternative text to that image that you're showing on Instagram or a video description. Um, so that hard to sight person can get that same experience, but you've got to do it across all platforms. Like, you know, really being mindful of it all the time, no matter where you're posting your information. Yeah. In, in 2023, that's the other reason, by the way, when, when earlier I said SEO, right, you just reminded me what's happening with uh, social media post algorithms, right? Is that whether it's Instagram or any of the platforms, what, they, what they've noticed is people are spamming with hashtags, meaning mm -hmm. that they're abusing, they're abusing the hashtags. Right. So more and more descriptive captions that that's meaningful and makes sense, the algorithm is gonna change to say that, oh, this is relevant content I need to show to these people, right? Mm -hmm. It's no longer just a hard-coded hashtags that people, can use. So I think that's the other reason, just like you would do it for SEO reasons on the other side, on a website, on, on, a, on a platform like a social media platform or app, it's good to actually write good captions so that mm -hmm. it's, it's meaningful and, and it's more descriptive so that the algorithm can pick that stuff up and say, okay, you know what, this is highly targeted content. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it to these types of audiences because it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of alternative text. It just gives you another place to put that SEO information, you know, while you're describing things like you mentioned. Yep, definitely. Now, what, what are some of the, because any, any topic I touch, there's always myths, misconceptions, wrong thinking. And not only that, there's, you know, resistance, resistance right. to doing, you know, changes and stuff like that towards like implementing ADA compliance, what are some of those myths? Let's, let's bust them right now. 
Well, um, so you've got somebody who's just got a little bit of information about ADA compliance and they find out you can do this with Adobe Acrobat and they go in and they open up the accessibility panel in Adobe Acrobat and they click uh, create tags, add tags. And now they think their document is remediated and they're ready to go because now they have paragraph tags, header tags, and, and they're done. And unfortunately, I wish we lived in that world, but we, we don't live there yet. Um, it's not that easy. It's not that quick. So, you know, actually explaining that, that it is way beyond that because people are like, well, what do you, what am I paying you for? I can do this. You know, I just go click add tags and it's really not that it's telling the, you know, these documents, how they're going to be read. Cause if you imagine um, a three column newspaper, right. And you've got column, you know, one, and then you got to read down that and go back up to two and read down that the screen reader or the assistive technology just wants to run across those top lines. So you're going to get that first line of every column and they're going to come back and do the same thing again. So nothing is going to make sense. And that requires, you know, a sighted person to go in and say, Hey, this is how this should logically be read. Um, and if you don't do that, if you don't have somebody who's taking that step, you're not helping the hard of sight person at all just by adding tags. Yeah. Well, what are some of the other like misconceptions? Um, misconceptions. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll that... throw one. I'll, I'll throw one at you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, uh, I have these images and videos on my site. I'm going right. to put in alt tags. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, I mean, people see it as just a real simple, simple thing. And it's not, especially when you get into heavy tables, um, or graphs and, you know, you've got to, realize that this person cannot see the colors that you've put in there that are making your graph work. Um, and so it, you need to be extremely detailed. So just a little blurb or reiterating the caption is not going to make that accessible and not going to give that hard of sight person the same experience that you're having. It's got to be a lot more in depth. So one of the other things, you know, because I've done some compli ADA compliance work in my past, right? One of the things that I noticed going through it, besides the technical reasons, right? It gives me SEO benefit. It gives me better social media posts, stuff like that. Those are very tactical, right? What I noticed is your user experience tends to be more meaningful, right? When, when you're thinking about it so that you're not thinking it just for the fact that you're doing it for people with disabilities, but your overall population of everybody who visits your site, you're giving them a better user experience also. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, like let's take a PDF document for instance. So when we remediate that PDF, we are adding in bookmarks. So now this panel is gonna open up on the left-hand side of your document and it has all these bookmarks that allow a person to just skip through your document to get where they need to be. So, I mean, we remediate documents some months that are 8,000 pages. And can you imagine if you're a heart of sight individual, you're trying to comb through 8,000 pages to find that little bit of tidbit of information that you needed. And so both for the heart of sight and a sighted person to be able to jump to those little bookmarks and go where you need to be in this big document are invaluable. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think from a, um, another example would be like um, when you have search results on a, on a website, let's say you have an e-commerce website, you have search results and you have uh, hundreds of results that come back and you're showing it to them for 20 at a time, right? 
when when you are not structuring that properly from a user experience standpoint, uh, and especially if you do the ADA compliance, you'll be much more empathetic to that, you know, because it's a ton of information you're showing, mm -hmm. and then you're just going one at a time, or, or pagination, or one page at a time, and stuff like that. Some of those things may not be read by readers properly by by like uh, uh, you know the different types of reading devices, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what you're what we're doing is making every one of these documents so that no matter what assistive technology the person is using, whether it's a refreshable Braille keyboard, or it's um, a screen reader, or it's uh, an audio assisted device in any way, is we're making it, we're telling it how to read. Um, and so that it makes sense. So it's not convoluted. And they are able to navigate the document in a logical manner. Yeah. So I want to I want to actually uh, relate to you a uh, a personal story, right? I, it's a professional personal story. Um, <laughs> several years ago, uh, I was asked to be a mentor to a business plan pitch competition at Cornell Tech in New York City, right? Uh, Cornell right. Tech University is pretty it's pretty big and very intelligent students and stuff like that. So one of the projects that I I in you know I uh, proposed. For students, if they liked it, they would they would subscribe to that, and then I, they would be under my mentorship, basically. And at that time, uh, Alexa and other voice-assisted um, devices were becoming very popular, right? right. So it's great that a, a regular person without disabilities has a great time asking Amazon Music to play whatever, right? But it comes with automation, with Bluetooth that connects to different devices and stuff like that. So I said that we, we need to explore a business plan to make Alexa accessible for everybody. Mm -hmm. The 50 million people who cannot use it for whatever reason, right? And it's such right. a great device. How do you use it, you know, to assist that person with disabilities to help them either around the house or, or, or ordering an Uber or whatever it is, right? A, a person without disabilities, that's easy, right? They just yeah. say the wake word and boom, they, they're on their way. But what, what about the people who don't have that, right? So mm -hmm. I actually, I, I had students at Cornell Tech were interested in it. They subscribed to actually as part of their business plan competition to come up with a, a business plan to actually adopt that exact thing, you know, for, for that. And when we went through it, we faced so many challenges, I can tell you, which was exciting. To me, it was exciting to know that there are challenges with that sort of a device where you, you know, because the makers of that never thought of, you know, 50 million people, which is a gigantic population, right? How can right. you ignore 50 million people? But the thing is, it is a new technology, you know, whether it's that or Oculus, you know, with the AR, VR headset. And other types of devices like that, I, I think being empathetic to, to that and, and understanding that, you know, because a website nowadays is not a luxury, it's a given, right? Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to do those things because, uh, you, you know, because your population, not everybody has the same capabilities, right? That they have some mm -hmm. shortcomings or they have certain disabilities and stuff like that. And you have to be mindful uh, of that kind of a situation. So any new technology that comes out, you know, I, I, I am more empathetic towards it and say, okay, how would it work if you were X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. And just asking that question makes you think a, a bit more, right? When, yeah. you are, when you're designing 
features on your e-commerce site or your WordPress site or something like that. There are tools, there are tools on the web that if you take your color palette or an image and, and pass it through, I forgot the names of them, you know, but, but they are, you can Google it. It would, yeah. it would come back to you and say that, is it, is it a color safe, you know, safe color for you to use, you know, so that you're not like, like you said, you know, like right here above my head, my logo and the color behind it, not compliant. I can tell you that. Sure. <laughs> as soon as you said it, I looked. I looked at my logo. I said, "Oops, I should have made that. I, I should have made that a little bit better." You know, yeah. but the color that that white with the darker color is probably that's good. Yeah, 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 yeah you're good there. Good. So, I mean, being mindful like that, I think, is is really important for creative directors, for mm -hmm. people who are responsible for website design and branding, like VP of marketing and CMOs and stuff like that. And it's not just everything does not just fall into the IT department where IT needs to put in the alt tags. They need to do this. They need to put the hard return and this and that. Yeah, that's part of it. This, that's just making the thing compliant on one part. But what, what about having the right design sense to do it correctly from the ground up, from the very beginning of the conversation? Right. Well, a lot of um, our business comes through the marketing departments of these different corporations because they are the ones that are becoming more and more mindful of what needs to take place. So, you know, our designers here at Splashbox, they are always designing with accessibility in, in mind. So a lot of times, you know, they'll send me a document and go, hey, the client asked for this. What do you think? And I'm like, well, you know, I understand why they're making that choice, but we need to at least make them aware that if we changed, you know, the color that is being used here or the way we're developing this page into a more accessible format, that one, it's going to be easier for everybody to read and it's going to appear nicer and cleaner, but they'll already be with one step further in their accessibility requirements if we make those changes. So we do spend a lot of time going back and going back to the client and going, okay, well, how about this? And giving an example or another way to do it. And usually showing that as opposed to just telling them um, because they, they want what they want. You know, I mean, they've got a vision in their mind and they want to accomplish that. So just being ever mindful all the time of what design changes we can make that make them be the most accessible they can be is, you know, important. And what we, when we bring on new designers, most of them have never considered that before. So that's a training that we do on our side that really gets them mindful to where they're always looking out for that. So earlier I said there are different levels, right? So let's dig into the level, level of compliance, right? Level one, level two, unless there are updates now. But let's go through the example so that the audience can understand what is level one compliance versus level two compliance. And let's use the different examples so that we can, uh, you know, get, give a good picture of that compliance. Well, there's not, I mean, there is one, there is one 508 level of compliance that you've got to meet with your documents. I mean, if you go on to HHS's website, they have a checklist for every type of document, whether it's PDFs, Excel, Word, PowerPoint, and they're like, all of these need to be met in order for us to say that your document is compliant. Um, there are different standards throughout the world. Um, you know, here in the United States, we're using, everybody likes to call it WCAG 2.1 is what we're going to be transitioning to. Um, and so that has a set of rules behind it that you've got to meet. If you're only meeting, you know, 
WCAG one, then you're not fully compliant. Um, so yes, there are, there are different levels, but in the end to avoid the lawsuits, to be completely, you know, compliant, you've got to meet the WCAG 2.1, um, which is the, you know, industry standard for here in the United States. Uh, we've had an example where we were dealing with a company that was using an Ireland based firm to do their 508 compliance. Well, they're not familiar with 508 because that is in relation to the United States ADA law is number 508. Um, just like for the hearing, it's 504 is the law. And so this is a U.S. only um, word usage. Um, in the rest of the United States, you know, in the rest of the world, they have different requirements. Um, so we had a communication issues going back and forth where things that are required here in the United States to meet that ADA compliant law are not required in other parts of the world. And maybe they require other things. So there was a lot of back and forth on us figuring out why we weren't talking the same language. Um, and that's, you know, because there are a lot of different compliance levels out there and different uh, countries have adopted different levels. So it's just being mindful of the one that is actually here in the United States, which is the WCAG 2.0 or 2.1 and, and the requirements that are set out by HHS. Cause at the end of the day, those are the ones that matter here in the U S. So if you take as an example, is there a, like a basic requirements that if it meets it, at least you, you are, you're, you're hitting the ground running, uh, mm -hmm. not necessarily that you are safe, you know, from uh, lawsuits and stuff, uh, right. but at least, at least you are mindful of it. Uh, and then you can do, cause some, some compliance might be very easy to implement, like all tags mm -hmm. and having descriptions on everything that you have and stuff like that. Right. But then there are much more detailed thing. Maybe this entire site is not designed properly, right? That's a site redesign project, right? That might take, depending on the size of the, of the site, it might take anywhere from a couple of months to a couple of years for it to be redesigned, right? Right. So can you go into that, That like, what is the basics that, like, if, if you're a small business owner, like you said, there, are, there were so many businesses that got hit that were under $50 million. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give if you were to give them 10 things that they should be watchful for that they could do to, to at least have their sites be at least, you know, basic accessibility and versus much more big, bigger in detail, more detail. Well, basically just get started. If you are putting together a plan and you get contract with a company that's going to help you just starting to get a plan in place is going to save you in the long run. Because if somebody comes to you and they're like, Hey, your site's not compliant, but you can go, Hey, we've got this great plan. We're working this plan. We're going to get it done, you know, because it is a large you know, cost to delve into. But if you can show that you are actively working on this, you're not going to get a lawsuit. You're not going to be sued because you are trying to make this happen. So what I would suggest is the very first thing you do, what are the documents that are most downloaded from your website? Where, what pages on your website are people going to the most? Start there, you know, look at those documents, look at those pages and start a plan, making those accessible first and then going on from there. And that is going to make the biggest impact um, in the shortest period of time, because you may have a thousand documents, um, you know, because people just keep adding documents to their website. A lot of times they don't take old ones off and nobody's accessed, you know, some of them for 
10 years, perhaps, but you've got other ones that people are downloading every day, make sure those are accessible. And, you know, if you take off little bites, you know, we have clients that have dedicated a certain budget every month, like we have X amount of dollars that we want to spend every month to get compliant, you know, so that's how many pages we can remediate every month. And we're just working that with them. Um, the other thing is, you know, while you're developing that plan, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want to read this document that's on your page, but I can't, I can't because it's not accessible, then within two weeks, get that person, that document in accessible format. So if you're already working with a company that can do this for you, you just move that one to the top of the line and go, hey, we've got a request for this. Can you turn it around? And, and that's important because if you've, if you've been reasonable in, in your amount of time to get that to them, they are, they're going to be happy. They're going to go away happy and you're not going to get sued. So it's just having a plan in place and getting started. Um, and once you do that, you're going to protect yourself a lot. What role do you think? Because I, I know that I, I, I said, you know, it can't be just IT. And I wanted to also talk about other departments like sales, marketing, other roles in the organization. Going back to the IT, what role does technology play in, in being responsible for making sure? I'm not, when I say that, I don't mean technology, meaning the, the insurance company's website, right? I mean, um, the platform that they are on, right? They could be using Oracle, Shopify, WordPress, and things like that. What responsibility do they have or uh, are there facilities in there to make that accessibility easier for their clients like you know, insurance companies and e-commerce companies and such? Yeah. The, so a lot of, you know, ones you've mentioned, they and, and others are making strides and making sure that their stuff is accessible. So, I mean, it's doing your research and making sure that, you know, asking them those questions, is your platform accessible? What are you doing to make it accessible? When is that going to happen? Um, you know, that's going to go a long way. Plus it forces them to bring, you know, themselves up to those levels, but they're, there are quite a few companies that are doing that. Um, I mean, I get updates all the time from different platforms that we're using or that we're working with with our clients that they are making strides and they're making changes. So, and you've got to just keep pushing on them to do that because that saves you money in the long run because they're, you're starting with something that already is compliant. So in a world, because I live in this world, right? Uh, the world of constant change, right? It is right. A constant change. So uh, Jody, you go through... You do your compliance, you, you, they correct it, everything looks good. Uh, you look the other way for two seconds and you look again and boom, it's not compliant again because mm -hmm. they fixed something or, or there was a break in the feature or whatever. They fixed something, but fixing that broke, that thing that you just certified them that was okay. So right. does that ever happen? Oh, yes. <laughs> Happens all the time because somebody decided they got this great idea and they want this new pop up on this one page or they've got a sales promotion running. And so they want this extra information on there. So, you know, we have clients where every month, same day, every month we go through, we troll the website, um, make sure that nothing new has come up and then make them aware of anything that they've done that has broken that chain. And then at the end, after they fix it, then we give them a certificate that, yep, Today, as of today, your website is compliant. And that's really what it states is because I can't control what, um, you know, a marketing or salesperson decides they want to throw up there tomorrow. But I can say as of today, <laughs> you are compliant. So 
Yeah, because I can I can even imagine it may not be a feature. It it's possible because every organization now has somebody on their team that takes care of the site speed, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Making sure that everything comes up fast and it takes less than two seconds to come up and stuff like that. And then somebody who had fixed it because of ADA compliance um, may have done a mistake. I'm not saying that the ADA compliance is heavy or anything like that. They may have, may have made a mistake, but but the thing is from a compliance perspective, it was perfect. You signed off on it. The, the person who is responsible for the performance of the site goes in there, says, oh, you know what? I, we need to tweak this and clean it up. And they go through that cleanup and they may have reversed out 75% of the work that was done for compliance. That happens a lot with PDF documents. So um, one thing that we ask our clients is, is there any size restriction on your website for the size of those documents? Because they'll send me a hundred megabyte document and they want it to be five megabytes when it, they upload it to their website. But remediation adds girth to every single document that we touch because we are adding information. We're adding behind the scenes programming that tells how to read that document and it adds size. So what'll happen is we'll remediate a document. Um, we'll get it, we downsize it before we start remediating it. And then we remediate it. We, if we know that there's a size requirement, we do our best to keep it down there. And then we'll send it in and somebody will decide that they're gonna reduce PDF size And when they do that, they strip out the alt text. They'll strip out a lot of the programming that's gone into it. And then they post it and we're back at square one. It's like, that's not the document that we sent you. (laughs) So yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, I mean, I I can imagine like even uh, if you take something as simple as a PNG file or a JPEG file, right? Which is the images, right? Right. Uh, On the web, those are the popular formats. one of the basic things I would do as a as a performance person to say that, oh, you know what? This file, this image is three megabytes. Mm-hmm. I pass it through a, a, a compressor. That thing strips out camera information, lens information, other metadata, stuff like that down to its core so that it's right. just an image. That's it. Nothing else in it. So that, that three megabyte file drops down to like 30 KB. You know? mm-hmm. So... But I stripped out all the other stuff because it was not necessary for it to be rendered on on, right. on a website. But that image, I can imagine there might be meta fields in that image that I may have stripped out that mm-hmm. were meant to be for accessibility so that it could be read, even the image itself, not the alt text, the image itself. Yeah. Well, and um, Apple products have gotten really good at um, reading images and providing on demand, you know, as soon as you look at it, information about, you know, what you're seeing. Um, It's really fun to see these big companies coming out with lots of creative ways to show accessibility. But you're right. You know, we end up stripping out a lot of that information that they are they're needing in order to make that image more accessible when we do things like that. So it's just being careful with how far down we strip things and how much information gets ripped out. So is that part of your part of your audit also? You you give them heads up like look, we are putting these kind of tags in. Whoever does your performance thing, make sure that you don't strip these out. You can strip out the rest of it. Like right. camera lens information, you could strip that out. Nobody cares about that. Right. But, I mean unless you're a photographer or something like that, but <laughs> But yeah. if but if it has to do with accessibility of the site, don't touch these meta fields. 
Yeah. Yeah. We do that. Um, when we're going through and we're giving them a review of the site, we'll say, you know, these are the important things that you've got to keep in. These are things you can remove if you need to downsize things. Um, and we'll ask, you know, Hey, if you want to downsize this PDF, just send it back to us after you're done and let us make sure that you haven't stripped out any of the things you needed for accessibility. So just, you know, shoot it over to us once you're done and let us take a look at it. Um, so that way we make sure that they have the best thing they can have up on their website. So earlier we talked about legal and financial ramifications, $6 million paid out by, by Target. Target. It was yeah. several years ago. I, I remember that was a gigantic thing. And everybody scrambled, by the way, at that time. To, oh, yeah. To come compliant very quickly. You know, um, that became a thing. So how do you educate uh, businesses? Um, you know, the cost, the legal cost and the financial cost of non-compliance. Uh, so how do you go through that education process uh, amongst your clients? Well, we, we create a newsletter and we'll keep it up to date with whatever's going on with the new, you know, the new triggers are for lawsuits that are out there in fireway compliance. We do blogs too. We also um, will have guest writers on our blogs that'll, you know, put in new information that's come to light. Um, and, We'll share, we'll go to conferences um, like CSUN that have a lot of great accessibility information. And they'll also make everybody aware of where most of the lawsuits are happening, who needs to, you know, and what what's triggering them. So we do share that stuff with our clients, um, usually on yearly reviews when they're talking about what we need to do to be more compliant next year. Um, we'll give them that information or we'll send it to them, you know, in a, a newsletter through email or we drive them to the to the website where they can get that information. Now, given my line of work, it has to do with e-commerce, right? With e-commerce, the number one device being used by consumers today in 2023 is mobile devices, right? iPhone, Samsung Galaxy, uh, Google Pixel, and so on, right? When it comes to accessibility, what are your thoughts on, on mobile devices? Because the consumers would be using those kind of devices or iPads or any of those kind of uh, devices. Right. Well, and that's where, you know, they're, they're having something read them what that website looks like. So you've just got to make sure that you've got all that alt text in there, that it's easy to navigate simplicity. Um, you know, especially in your, you know, smaller screens, keeping things very linear, um, not having a lot of overlapping stuff so that when that reader is going through and reading your site, it, it makes sense as it's reading down it. I mean, if you've ever created a website, you know, you'll, you'll create a desktop site and it's got, you know, it can have three columns or it can be, you know, it's got a lot of girth to it. But when you design that mobile site, you want to make sure that, that everything is, you know, coming straight down in a logical order and there's not, that you've created a mobile version of your site, that it's not just the desktop version in a very tiny format. So Actually, one of, one of the terms I hate, uh, I literally <laughs> despise it, is mobile responsive, right? Uh, I, I actually advise my clients that don't make your site mobile responsible, make it responsive, make it mobile first, meaning that it's highly optimized for the, for the mobile device, right? right. Not yeah. responsive, meaning that you know your your um, desktop looks like this, and then your mobile looks like this. Yeah, a lot of things don't translate properly. Even if it's responsive, it's not translating properly. Even for the regular people using oh, that yeah. device, it's not a proper thing. 
let alone making it more accessible, you need to think mobile first because a lot of sites out there, I would say 70 to 80% of your visitors are mobile. <laughs> you know? sure. So if you built, if your designer sits on a Mac on a nice gigantic map and their Mac and they're, they're designing your website and it looks beautiful on the Mac when they show it to you, take your iPhone out, see how it, how it looks. Exactly. If it's too small for you, you mean that you, you're, you're also missing out on accessibility too, on top yep. of it. And you will lose people, 100%. I yeah, can guarantee it. Yeah, for sure. It has to be com two completely different processes. Like if you like to start with the desktop then start with the desktop, but you're going to redesign that thing when you get over to the mobile side, just to make sure that it's fully accessible and user-friendly. So, you know, we have uh, on this show, some of the audience members are new entrepreneurs or young entrepreneurs, right? We have founders. Uh, we have other business owners who are not tech savvy. They have not I mean, this is your life, right? You do ADA compliance. <laughs> They're learning about it right now. What kind of tips can you share with, with those kind of novice and amateur, like they're, they're just learning this. What tips can you share with them that they should take care of, like the, the five things they should know? Um, well, familiarize yourself, go to hhs.gov and learn about 508. What is it? What does it mean? Um, what are the requirements? They are, like I said, they've got uh, real simple checklists that you can look at that are formatted in a question type uh, format. That's a great way to start. Um, you know, I mean, you can come to Splashbox's website. We have videos that'll show you the difference between a heart of sight person navigating a document that's remediated versus unremediated. That's very eye-opening. And then once you've got a real good understanding of what does this mean and what does this mean for my clients and then, you know, look at what type of documents or do you need to remediate? You know, if it's a bank statement, there are specific softwares that'll do, you know, monthly documents like that, that are very, um, that can be programmed into a format of a form. And then that remediation process becomes very um, automated. Um, so there's software for that. It, it's finding the software program that's going to best meet the needs of your, your business. Um, if you're a heavy a newsletter or image kind of uh, product, or you have a lot of tables, it may be that there's a couple different softwares that you're going to have to use. Um, I think we use up to four different types of software, depending on the client that we're working with, that's best going to facilitate them. So it's doing some research on what type of document do I have? What is it considered? And what is the best software out there to meet that need? Um, you know, doing searches, is a great way to start or finding a company like ours. There's, there's several of us um, that can kind of direct you towards, you know, different softwares that are going to help you. So, so far we've talked about um, accessibility as a consumer and a business being a producer of it. Right. Mm -hmm. What about, uh, what, what is the, can you discuss the role of uh, accessibility in promoting? Cause I can imagine this has a gigantic <laughs> impact diversity and inclusion in the workplace and, and when, when it comes to accessibility? Well, when you're, when you're focusing on accessibility in your workplace and on your intranets, even you're, you're increasing, you know, the number of people that can apply for your jobs. You're increasing the number of vendors that you can interact with. You're increasing, you know, the number of clients. So if you become a, a company that is all inclusive, you know, and that doesn't just mean, 
you know, your hiring practices of men versus women or, you know, nationalities of opening that up to your people with disabilities. These are amazing people that have wonderful things to offer the world. And when you start including that, you are just expanding, you know, your company, your, your growth opportunities. And it, it's a, a great focus to have. I mean, we utilize um, hard aside individuals and in, in our research and in our, you know, consulting with us on things that make life better for them. And that only makes us better at providing that for them. So, you know, it, you just want to really open up those doors by becoming inclusive of everybody. Yeah. It's not, it's not just a checkbox. <laughs> Don't treat no. it like a checkbox. No. Yeah. What we say is it's um, not just the law, it's the right thing to do because, you know, it really is. If you just imagine yourself for a day not being able to navigate the computer the way you're used to, you know, you would feel so alone, I feel like, in the, today's world that you couldn't access the same stuff that other people were accessing. And whether that's in your workplace or just, you know, searching the web, it, to imagine that is kind of scary too, because our world is so automated now. You know, actually, you just reminded me, I, I was reading, I think it was this weekend, I came across this stat that the loss of a, an iPhone for people, right, is equal and the emotional distress you go through when you lose your phone is same as, as if you had lost a loved one. Oh, my. <laughs> so no, the reason, there's a reason why I'm bringing that up. Okay. So now imagine the thing that you rely on your eyes yes. or hearing. Mm -hmm. Imagine you not having it for just a couple of hours. Forget about lifetime. You know, yeah. that that's what that you you need to be empathetic to that process and and make sure that you are you're doing all the right things. Not only from a consumer standpoint that you are making your sites accessible, but you also have to. You know, because I've, I've come across very talented people. They just have a specific disability. Sometimes that disability is actually is a blessing in disguise that they are much more, uh, you know, alert because they don't have that sense. They have some other sense and, and they're actually are better at that job than a person without any disabilities. <laughs> you know, just to help well, earlier. I mentioned the young man that was reading his school newsletter for the very first time. He went on to Belmont University to major and become a music producer because wow. his suit is his hearing, right? And he's doing amazing things with that ability. And it would be tragic if he was discounted just because he couldn't see the same as everyone else because he can hear way better than anybody else. And just the speed at which he listens to documents, I, I could barely understand the document, but he's so attuned with his hearing that it far exceeds my ability. Uh, the other know. senses also. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, thank you so much, Jenny, for all of the in-depth topics that we went through and, and the examples and the case studies and, and the inspirational case study that you just shared again, you know. What is your number one expert insight, the $100,000 expert insight you want to leave us with uh, for ADA compliance, uh, understanding accessibility, and, and all of those kind of things to make sure that the, the businesses are more mindful of that? Just get started. Just start, you know, like I mentioned, with those documents that are the most, you know, downloaded on your site. Just start with those. Get those so that they can reach more people and your bottom line is going to increase and your 
you're going to save money in the end, I promise. <laughs> Especially if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast, because that's where most of the lawyers are and that's where most of our lawsuits are happening. So you just really <laughs> want to jump It's very on. geographic. It is very geographic. So if you are on one of those coasts, you want to jump on this and just get, just get started. Find a partner that you can work with, some, a company that you feel good with, and, and just get the ball rolling. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And audience, please visit Jenny on the web, uh, splashbox.com. And thank you for joining us again with, with a fabulous uh, guest like Jenny, and especially the topic of uh, ADA compliance, which is near and dear to my heart. So I really appreciate you, Jenny, for being here. And thank you, audience, for tuning in. And keep, uh, keep tuning in because we have amazing guests and phenomenal guests as amazing as Jenny uh, on the show. Until next time.